Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz composer Matt Zimbel from the Canadian band Manteca. We had a good talk about their new 2023 CD, The Offspring Project. Founded in Toronto in 1979, this band has played to wildly enthusiastic crowds from the North Sea Jazz Fest to the Hollywood Bowl and released 13 critically acclaimed award-winning recordings. The joy and exuberance of their striking powerhouse take on global jazz has forged deep bonds with audiences around the globe. Over the past four decades, this nine-piece global jazz artist collective has become a family, one of profound respect and enduring friendships. Their kids are even getting into the act now. We cover all of that and so much more. Enjoy. Well, hey, it's great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I want to begin our conversation with what we lived through for the last three and a half years with the pandemic. How did you get through it and how good does it feel to have new material out right now? The pandemic for us was very uh, interesting in that um, uh, as soon as we went into blackout, uh, you know, basically what happened where I live in Quebec is that there was a um, a curfew. Yeah. And so at eight o'clock at night, you couldn't go out of your house, yeah. Yeah. which was a, a, an absolutely bizarre thing to live with. I mean, you know, especially because, you know, you could think about it. Where we live, uh, pot is legal. So you could be out smoking a joint with cops, and then at 8 o'clock, they'd <laughs> arrest you. And they wouldn't arrest you for smoking a joint. They'd just arrest you for being out at 8 o'clock. How bizarre is that? I know. It's the craziest thing in the world, right? Um, so so anyway, so basically, uh, you know, as soon as that we went into that, you know, people in the band were like, oh, we should do a... Um, we should do a concert on Zoom. You know, we should do something to support our peeps, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I just thought the quality of the Zoom concerts in the beginning, it was it was lovely that people were reaching out, but it was brutal. I mean, you know, you couldn't hear things. People looked terrible. It just didn't feel like the right thing for us to do. So as the uh, as the pandemic went on, we, we ended up uh, raising some money through some government sources that were there to help artists. And we ended up doing a streaming series uh, where we went into a studio um, where we do our records in Toronto at Revolution Audio and uh, went in with a, a team of shooters, five five cameras. And uh, because we were in a studio, it sounded great. And we shot it and then we posted it and then we put it up. And so that was kind of what we did. We did three episodes. We would invite guests to play with us. We would arrange their music for our uh, format, which was really incredibly cool. Uh, oftentimes it would be, um, you know, an emerging artist or an established artist to work together. So it was a really wonderful thing. It really had the vibe of like being in a rehearsal hall with a bunch of musicians, except the audio and the video was fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, an album is out now with the pandemic. We're in this post pandemic era. How good does it have, does it feel to have the offspring project out now? Uh, okay, so it's a bit weird in the sense that um, every time you release a record, this is our 14th record, you know, the industry changes in the last few years, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, um, <clears throat> they're streaming now, they didn't used to be streaming. And um, now the label says, well, do you want to actually press physical copies or not, you know, so this time we didn't press physical copies. And it kind of almost doesn't feel like the record is actually out, you know yeah. what I mean? It just feels like Oh, that was like, what was that? Right. And, you know, to be completely frank with you, I mean, I feel like the craft of making records, what we love to do has been so diminished by technology uh, 
you know, the album art doesn't matter anymore because it lives in a square like that. Uh, nobody reads the liner notes. We spend a lot of time writing liner notes. The liner notes are supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be fun to read. That doesn't matter anymore. The sequence of the songs on the record, which we spend a tremendous amount of time working on, no one gives a about that either. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, and and then the quality of the audio—it's squashed, it's compressed to get onto the streaming platforms. So on on so many levels, um, you know what we're experiencing is the craft of making a record, something that we've really been very um, enamored with for 44 years now has, has changed. And I don't think it's improved. There are some things that improve, right? You and I are having a conversation today. It's not costing us anything to talk to you. You know what I mean? Like that's a, a big improvement. So you do have to acknowledge these things. I mean, if it was five years ago, we'd have to have a satellite link and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So so there are advantages, but our craft is diminished. And also, uh, you know, this concept of people actually buying the music. Well, that's just fiction. That's just like hilarious. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is bizarre, man. As you put it that way, it is totally bizarre how many things have kind of detracted from the idea that listening to music is almost seen like a lost art. You know, it we, is. we consume it in such a... Uh, a crazy way it's like a tornado running through a cafeteria it's like just yeah, exactly it, it, it's bizarre um, and you know i'm look i'm as guilty as anybody else i mean i cannot remember the last time i sat down and listened to a record without any distractions whatsoever yeah. you know what i mean like music has become kind of wallpaper uh it's like something you listen to in the background uh, sometimes my friends will send me pro their projects and i will put the headphones on and i will focus on that but uh, you know, uh, and time has changed as well. I mean, as you say to somebody, oh, it, you know, um, it's a 50 minute record. It's like 50 minutes. When am I going to get like, wh where would I get 50 minutes to listen to your record? You yeah. know, you don't, <laughs> in the old days, you know, people would come over and, you know, as they were leaving, you'd give them a CD. And now it's like, what, what am I going to do with that? Right, exactly. It's bizarre. So ultimately, at the end of the day, what are you hoping the listener gets from this album? Well, you know, what we always try and do is we always try and, and, and create memorable melodies and really interesting grooves and uh, great places for the soloists to hang out and play some stuff that they like. You know, that's what we try and do. And um, our music we're not the kind of record you put on to, to have dinner with, you know, we're the kind of record you put on to clean the house with, you know, it's energetic. It's, it's uplifting. Uh, th this is what you listen to in the car uh, when you're trying to get pumped up to do something, you know? Um, and we call ourselves um, a, a jazz adjacent uh, heavy metal hoedown rock band. So I don't think there's a genre for that at the Grammys, but anyway, the, uh, you know, we try and inspire, uh, we try and energize people with our music. And one of the reasons that we do that is because we do write for the show. The live show is really physically energetic. It's very upbeat. It's very um, visual. And uh, we always try and, um, and every time a song uh, goes into the new show, it has to achieve something in the show. It has a it has a purpose in the show, you know. So to take a song from a new record and put it into a show means another song from another record has to be kicked off the show. You know what I mean? So it's a very uh, 
tactical thinking in a way. I mean, the art is always there. We write whatever we want and we, you know, we, we don't edit from that point of view, but once it gets onto the record and then is in consideration for the show, that's a whole other level of, okay, well, what is it going to do? Where would we put it? What's its role? It's almost like organizing a musical in a way, you know? Yeah. So you've been around since 1979 and there's something to be said in music about longevity. You don't see it happening a whole, whole lot. There's a lot of bands that just never make it. It's They just hit a wall and you're clearly trucking on into the night. What's been the key to, to the longevity, to the good vibes, to keeping this going? I think that um, we're always, we've always been exploring a kind of music that you can't find elsewhere in the industry. So in other words, if you quit Manteca, it's not like you're going to go and play the same type of thing with other people, right? And, um, and so for the players, that's a great value. You know, that's something that really is special when you starting with that part of it, like people have left the band to pursue their own solo bands, but they tend not to be like what we do. Right. Um, so that's always been very gratifying is to know that we built this community. We built a specific sound. That's very unique. I, I would like to think. And when people um, play with us, uh, there's a real spirit um, of collaboration, a spirit of, um cohesiveness and a desire to really make something unique uh and and we're all friends and so i think it's been so gratifying to do that the other thing too is we're underdogs you know we're a large band we are very very um show driven you know like we really try and create a show that really works as a show as an evening of entertainment uh and um, I think people are very gratified by that, that yeah. are in the band, you know. So with the, the sound of the band and you being an integral part of it, what were your early influences? What, what, what kind of music were you getting into? How did this evolve for you? Well, in the beginning, it was like a lot of the um, music from um, uh, Britain that was coming over, like Osabisa, which was a, a band that they, that they took a lot of... Uh, um, music from Africa. A lot of African musicians were in London at the time and they started recording. Uh, I think they were, I'm not sure if they were Guyanese or Senegal. I think they were from Senegal originally. But anyway, so so that type of, that mixing of kind of Afro, Afro-Cuban uh, rock and jazz, that was a very big influence for us. You know, obviously Chick Corea, um, Weather Report, uh, we went on to uh, share some bills with, uh, you know, lo lots of different uh, groups like that, that were kind of exploring um, what I guess was called fusion or world fusion at the time. Yeah. But when we started out, there was no world category or no global category that just didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, Fania yeah. All-Stars out of New York were huge influences on us, you know, just because of our instrumentation, you know, the horns and the percussion, we were listening to a lot of salsa and, uh, a lot of samba as well and merengue and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we all started out. And then we started writing and um, a lot of, you know, rock influences came to play. We used to call certain music that we were doing rock salsa, you know. Um, and then, you know, as we got older and as, you know, salsa and samba and, and musics like that were 
prominent in, in culture, they were no longer kind of like really uh, genre. Um, they, they weren't really, you know, kind of marginal. We thought, well, that's not really our world anymore. Let's take it. Let's go someplace else. So that, that's what we did. And um, it's been a it's been a really exciting voyage. I mean, I think we've done six albums in the last 10 years. That's that's a lot of all original. That's a lot of content. Well, since two thousand and seven, so that's in the last fifteen years or so. Yeah. What was the first live show that you saw that blew you away? Wow, that's a that's a. You know, I, this is going to sound crazy, but I saw Gino Vanelli when he was first starting out. It was, I think, his first tour, and um, I was working as a stagehand at this theater in a small town where I lived. And uh, Gino came to town and he had uh, Graham Lear playing drums, who later went on to play with Santana. He had Dito Morris playing percussion. And I ended up studying with Dito because he was just a fantastic drummer and percussionist. Richard Baker playing uh, keyboards and percussion. He had like his brother and Richard Baker on keyboards. And then he had uh, three percussionists. And it was just so unique. And it was just such a powerful thing to see the way that they mixed pop and R&B and uh, Afro. And it was, I just, I was like, wow, this is really something. Yeah. And so that was a big influence. And, and Graham Lear's playing has always been uh, so remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that you like the best about being a professional musician? There's so many things that go into it. There's recording albums, there's playing live, there's promoting it. There's, you know, younger cats learn from you, but what is it that you like the best about this journey? I, it's easy to answer that question. It's the show. It's getting on stage and playing with these people who I love so much. And we've played together so long. We're so instinctive with each other. Um, I love uh, working with those people. I mean, our sound guy, he's kind of new. He's only been with us 34 years. So <laughs> we, you know, we call him junior. You know, yeah. but um, yeah, so there's people have been around a long time. So there's that kind of that, that kind of locking together that you just can't get from, um, you know, more recent acquaintances. So the show really is what what I'm really motivated for. I mean, I love making the records and I, I love sitting back and listening to a mix on nine, you know, like when yes. it's finished and, and, and being proud of it and feeling the impact of it. But the show is what really ex excites me. So the one thing, too, is, is that the crowd's coming back after being gone for a while. And especially with the show that you put on, they're probably a little louder than your typical jazz show. Are you feeling a lot of love from the crowds? Uh, we haven't been doing a lot of work lately because of the pandemic, first of all. Uh, so, so most of what we've been doing, like we did two shows last summer, and then we went into doing the new record and a streaming series. So we've been really pretty much locked into the studio. Okay. I do look forward to getting back. I know that um, audiences, it's an interesting question because audiences have changed. Uh, audiences' attention spans have gone down, yeah. you know. In the old days, you know, our, our one hour set was 70 minutes and now our one hour set's 50 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just because you get a feeling like people just, they can't focus for that long. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, even as excited as they get and even as, uh, you know, pumped up as they can be, sometimes you sense, okay, it's time for us to take a little break and come back, you know? Yeah. They got to check their phones. They want to uh -huh. call home, you know, whatever. Um 
but yeah, I mean, look, I think it's 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 super exciting to get back and to play again, and we're looking forward to doing that. So the new album, where's the best place for people to pick it up and to even find out about any any previous albums, anything live shows that might be coming up? Where's the best place for people to go? Go to our website, manteca-music.com. And um, you can also buy the record on Bandcamp. or It's available on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera, et cetera. But it's best to buy it on Bandcamp. Um, and we've got a bunch of other records over there as well. Right on. Matt, this has been great, man. Thank you for opening up about the project, your, your world of music. I really appreciate it. Joe, thank you so much for having us on. That's so wonderful. It's absolutely. the first time we've ever played in your town. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love it. We're, we're christened. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Toronto, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Matt for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, Enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.